You're listening to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast, episode 90, hosted by me, Robert Plotkin. Today, I'm going to be speaking with Carly Fain, celebrity business and boundary coach, author, speaker, and founder of The Boundary Academy. Carly shows driven, career-motivated folks how to leverage nourishment as the professional growth strategy that will make them leaders in their career without sacrificing their bodies or spirit again. Carly is also the host of the Messy and Magnificent podcast. You can find out more about Carly Fain at carlyfain.com. That's K-A-R-L-E-E-F-A-I-N.com. I'm extremely pleased to welcome Carly Fain to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. In the interview that you're about to hear with Carly Fain, you're going to hear her talk about a lot of the work that she does coaching people on boundaries and establishing and maintaining boundaries, which is a really significant part of the work that she does. So I thought I'd take a little bit of time up front here to give just one example of boundaries in relation to technology, which is setting boundaries on your use of technology when you first wake up in the morning. In the interview, you'll hear me make an admission about how I've noticed myself slipping on that and on what were some really good habits of mine before COVID. And now I've had to redouble my efforts after COVID when I found myself slipping on those uh, morning habits. You know, morning waking up may seem obvious, but it's the time when we start our day. And as a result, it can really set the foundation for the rest of our day. And so the way in which you use your time right after you wake up uh, in the first 15 minutes, half an hour, an hour, can set the tone for the rest of your day and give you either a foundation of strength and feeling of groundedness and confidence or not, <laughs> or a feeling of being unsettled or irritated or restless. However you start in your morning uh, can really lay the groundwork for the rest of the day. So it's one reason I recommend being conscious about when and how you introduce technology into your morning. Different things are best for different people. Some people may really need to have their phone near them, even when they're sleeping, although I generally recommend not doing it if possible. You know, you know your situation best, but I suggest you make a conscious plan, whether your phone's going to be in bed with you or near you, whether it is or not, for when you will first turn to your phone or other device. You know, if possible, could you engage in the basics of your morning routine, showering, eating breakfast, getting dressed? Maybe you exercise as part of your early morning routine. Maybe you meditate. Maybe you do some other things that are part of your normal routine. Can you do those before you first turn to a device? And if not, if you're going to turn to a device for some purpose, like reading the news, can you set your intention to only use the device for that purpose? And when I said have a plan, the reason I say that is you're much more likely to use your devices consciously and in a limited, focused way that's consistent with your goals if you plan for that in advance. Decide in advance, here is 
when I will use the device in the morning. Here's what I will use it for. If instead you leave the decision about how to use technology to whatever your feelings are inclining you to do in the moment, I'd suggest that you're much less likely to actually use that technology in a way that is in your best interest, particularly because you're sleepy, you're first getting up, you might be busy. There's all kinds of forces acting on you first thing in the morning that might cause you to use technology in a way you regret if you haven't made a conscious plan in advance. And you may, even if you have a plan, it's very likely need to practice executing that plan multiple times before it really becomes a habit. That's just how all habits work. And I say that because it's really important that if you set out a plan, let's say I'm not going to use my phone for the first hour. I'm not going to use my phone until after I do get up, shower, get dressed, eat my breakfast. Let's say you slip on that the first time, the second time. It's really important not to just give up on the plan entirely. And if you know that it may take 10, 15, 20 times before that plan becomes engaged as a habit, you will be much more likely to keep practicing it if you know that you may slip and if you practice non-self-judgment when you do slip. So I hope you find this helpful. Engaging in this kind of morning boundaries with technology, I see it as a kind of self-care. It is helping you start the day without um, introducing that kind of nervous system agitation into your day so quickly, and it will allow you to engage in other more direct kinds of self-care, like, you know, getting yourself cleaned up, dressed, fed, exercise. Those all will enable you to engage in those types of self-care much more directly, consciously, be in the moment with them and not be you know, multitasking in them while you're doing it. And all of those will just serve you better throughout your day and your week. Hope these tips on technology boundaries as part of your morning routine was helpful to you. And I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Carly Fain. Hi, Carly, and welcome to the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Oh, thank you for having me, Robert. I'm really delighted to be here. Yeah, I'm really glad to have you. I know we will have no end of things to talk about today when it comes to uh, productivity, uh, growth, and boundaries, particularly in the time of COVID. I wonder if you could, could get started just by telling us you know, how you got into this work of coaching professionals, high achievers on their own growth and boundaries in particular. What motivated you? Well, you know, it was not, I didn't have a master plan around this. In fact, I thought I was going to have a very different trajectory. So as it happens, I was raised in a yoga ashram and in the United States. So in Sunnytown, Pennsylvania, and at the same time as one of the few kids in the ashram who went to public school. So um, here I am in the mainstream for a certain amount of hours every day. And then I'm coming home to study mindfulness full time with my family in this community. And I always felt pulled in these two opposing directions. So there was this part of me that was deeply satisfied, you know, running through the woods as a kid, doing yoga, meditating. And this other part of me loved the mainstream and wanted to just be, quote, normal, you know, and watch the TV shows my friends were watching. And, and I watched this grow as a theme in my life. As I got older, I felt even more split where I knew I wanted to go study business and law. And yet I couldn't sustain that pace. And I always kept wondering 
how do I pick one? Which one makes the most sense for me? And it took me many years to finally realize that they actually go incredibly well mm. together, right? Our ability to take care of our body is our most important professional asset. That is the thing that if we tend to it, makes us no longer have to compete in a saturated marketplace. The most rested person in the room is the run we all wanna hire. That's the person we wanna be around. And so if we can, rather than do the most, figure out how to take care of ourselves, even just 3% more, that makes the world the world of difference. And so from that has grown an entire company from this crazy experiment I was having about, is it possible? to run a business and be rested at the same time. That is a radical idea. I mean, I know amongst business people, uh, myself, you know, people joke about lack of sleep. It's just so common that, you know, it's people toss it off as obvious that, of course, we're not getting enough sleep, that it's obvious we're not getting enough exercise. That's just assumed. But of course, as you say, it shouldn't be assumed or it's not it's not healthy and it doesn't even if all we're concerned about is being the best productive workers we can be. It's not even self-supporting for that reason. I am so glad that you brought that up, Robert, because I think what we're talking about here is we accepted a lot of things as normal that really weren't normal. And if we look at, you know, kind of pre-COVID versus here we are in the middle of, of COVID, I think that this has been the the sacred interruption for all of us because we were suddenly disrupted and many of us in our normal work patterns or life patterns to kind of consciously be aware of, well, what was I doing before? What was working and what wasn't working? And I, in my, it's my belief that the quote normal we'd accepted was not normal, that there was mm -hmm. some dysfunction happening there. And the goal when we all get back to working maybe in a more traditional way is not to go back to that to yeah. that system of chronically being fatigued, being accepted or chronically stressed out, being accepted as, well, that's just part of being career motivated. Uh, it doesn't have to be like that. And I think it's really important. This is a great opportunity for us to spot those patterns now that they've been interrupted and go, wait a minute, <laughs> was that really serving me? That belief that exhaustion is just part of the game was that of service. I know there's no simple uh, silver bullet, uh, you know, to, to something like sleep, but I wonder what you could say to people who have the reaction, well, look, my life, my work, everything in, in combination is just so demanding. I don't have the time to change anything about how I sleep. Is there any small thing or other way you could get people down a different path if they're in that mindset? Thank goodness for saying that, because to me, telling somebody to go do more self-care that's already got enough on their plate, those are fighting words, right? It's like, when has everybody, anybody ever told you, hey, you just need to calm down, and that actually calmed you down? <laughs> that doesn't work. And so I think that there's actually, it's a form of victim shaming to live in a culture with slogans like, hey, we run on Duncan, mm -hmm. and then judge people for not being able to keep up with that pace, for not doing enough self-care. Like, that's blaming the person who's just stuck in the machine, right? It's not, it's not our fault. And so I think that this is a real moment for community care versus self-care. This awareness that we as a community can start to look at this differently. And so I think getting good sleep is actually too big of a leap. I think we need to start by just daring to pause for small moments. Rest doesn't only happen when we're sleeping. It can happen in the three minutes between when you turn on your coffee pot and the coffee's done brewing. It's my rest might look like three deep breaths while the coffee's brewing or, 
or listening to a song that brings me joy when I'm stuck in traffic or when I'm on the subway or whatever it is, that we're giving ourselves small pockets of mental rest throughout the day just to help recalibrate our nervous system, then sleep can come later. Does that make sense? Makes absolute sense. I mean, I'll tell you, before this started, we chatted a little bit, and I told you that this year has been a challenging year for me in which I've fallen into habits I thought I had gotten rid of. And one of them, a big one for me was news, listening to news, reading news, checking news. I felt I had really healthy news habits, which all went by the wayside (laughs) uh, this year between COVID and politics. And, you know, I found that I wake up in the morning and would turn the news on. I'd be listening to it. And, you know, I did small things like, all right, no news, at least while I'm brushing my teeth. You know, there's no need to listen to news while I'm brushing my teeth. (laughs) (laughs) And and how did that work? I'm so curious for you, like going small like that. What happened? It felt radically different to be quiet. Now, again, this was something I had done for a long time, but I switched back into news for quite a few months so that it felt felt normal. So I'm sure you're familiar with this. A combination of comforting and anxiety producing at the same time to be listening to news. Yes, yes, exactly. And I think you're touching on something that's so important here, Robert. I think there's a lot of belief around all in or all out. Either I'm doing this thing or I'm not doing this thing. And the truth is there's a lot of middle ground. And when it comes to, we as a company, we focus on helping driven people reclaim their time. That's the number one thing that career motivated people are feeling scarce around is time. So not enough time to sleep, not enough time maybe with your family, not enough time to whatever, right? Do the things you enjoy. And what we find is that little 3% shift, or I love your example of while I'm brushing my teeth, (laughs) actually has tremendous benefit there. It just seems like it couldn't be that easy. We're overcomplicating it. We're looking for something big. And really, we need to be making molehills out of these mountains. What Mm. is this? Okay, today it's while I'm brushing my teeth. Tomorrow it's while I'm in the shower. Next thing you know, it's your whole hour-long morning routine is a small bit of respite, right? But what's the small step? Mm. If I'm not all in or all out, what's like one or two or three percent look like Mm -hmm. in reclaiming what works for me? Okay, great. And what can you, I mean, I don't know what kind of challenges you find are common for people to encounter when doing that and maybe when going from three to four to five percent, you know, what what are the issues that people generally find they encounter? Great question. So we've been calling this the three H's of COVID. And I'd be so curious for any of your audience member noticing these. This is what we're noticing in, in our coaching practice with driven people is that there, there are these three main responses. One is the hiding response which is kind of the opposite of what you were having, which is that I cannot listen to the news or be on social media or interact with the world at all right now. I just want to be under the covers. I don't want anyone to talk to me. This is all too much. Um, The other H we see a lot for driven folks is what we've been calling hula hooping, where we're doing little bits of a task and then we're doing the next task and the next task. We're never quite finishing anything. We're going round and round and round all day long. And at the end of the day, we're tired. Mm -hmm. Um, We're exhausted. And yet we're frustrated because we feel like we didn't get any one thing done in a way that we feel proud of. So that's kind of the hula hooping. And then the third one is the hyper productivity. And that's another one that's really tricky because Hyperproductivity is celebrated in our culture. Being the hardest worker we know is like a badge yeah. of honor, right? Yes, and so yes. we're watching these three responses, whether it's a hiding, the hula hooping, or the hyperproductivity. These are all nervous system responses to a traumatic event. COVID's a big deal. This is a, this is a pandemic, right? And so 
what I want to extend here is that nothing is wrong with any of those three things when we do them intentionally, mm. right? Like I need a moment of respite. I'm going to hide from the news while I brush my yeah, teeth. Right. Very healthy choice, right? Same with the hula hooping. Like I need a little break. I'm going to work on something for a moment. I'm going to work on something else. And with the hyperproductivity, if you've got the extra mojo right now, great. Channel it towards something you're passionate about. But when we do them unconsciously, mm-hmm. that's where then they begin to take the reins, you know, and now we're no longer dictating our day. Our nervous system is dictating our day. And so it really does come back to first, we just got to spot that we're doing these. Mm-hmm. Like it's that basic. We can't change yeah. something if we don't notice that we're doing it. So again, yeah. it's offering ourselves a moment of grace when we realize, oh my gosh, I'm hula hooping. Yeah. Turns out I actually have something in common with a lot of driven people. A lot of driven people are hula hooping right now. Okay. What part of this is serving me? Mm-hmm. What part might I make a small tweak or change to so that it's intentional? So it just keeps coming back. I mean, really to the premise of your podcast, which is this mindfulness oh, I'm doing this thing. Is this actually working for me? (laughs) What might I modify if it's not? And starting at the smallest possible place. I like the the naming of things because before you talked about the names of the, the three H's, I was going to ask, how might you help people Uh, particularly if they don't have a mindfulness practice, how would you help them even to notice? Because it can be hard to break out of doing these things, engaging in these patterns, and be able to step back. It's easy to say, okay, notice what you're doing. It's harder to do it. I can see how at least giving them some different patterns, some names, could make it easier for people to notice them. Yeah. And you're, I wonder if you find the same thing, but I think a lot, Robert, about how we can't, we don't change our mind with our mind alone. We can't use the way we think to change the way we think alone. Right. And I look towards if our body or our intellect is the main thing we're banking on all day long, which is common for a lot of us. What are the other resources we have within us? And our body is a great resource. It gives us great information. And so a sign, you know, for a lot of people that we're, out of alignment that we're hiding or we're hula hooping or we're being hyperproductive is the information within our body. Do you get a headache when something's not worked for you? Do you get a knot in your stomach? Do you feel resentment or anger or frustration? Yeah. What, what is the information that your body is giving you? One of my favorite authors, Terry Tempest Williams, she says, my body is a compass. It does not lie. Mm-hmm. And I just love that yeah. phrase. Like there's information that our body's trying to tell us and we will circumvent that knowing with our logic if, if we only bank on our logic. And our body's wisdom, our body's information is a tremendous professional asset that we can leverage if we, if we dare to be in conversation with it. Yeah, I mean, it's another thing that seems pretty radical to me. I mean, I know it sounds simple, but it's radical within the business and professional world, which is pretty disembodied in many ways, particularly if you're an information worker in some way. I mean, I spend most of my day at a screen where it's easy to have the experience of being disembodied, even though, of course, I'm not disembodied. But the experience can take me out of my body, right, easily if I'm not attentive to it otherwise. Perfectly said. I know I fall down the same rabbit hole and I'm an ashram kid. (laughs) Literally (laughs) grew up in my body and I still find there'll be moments during the day where I haven't paid attention to my body for hours at a time until my leg falls asleep. And then I go, oh yeah, I haven't gotten out of my chair in two hours. Like my leg is asleep. That's a piece of information. 
these perplexing health symptoms are one of the most common traits we see in driven in driven folks, which is really interesting. And not most people have associated that to their work. And so when I say perplexing health symptoms, I mean things you might have gone to the doctor for, you've got a relatively clean bill of health. So not serious medical conditions, but things like chronic migraines and headaches, digestive issues, reproductive health issues, mm -hmm. autoimmune disorder flare-ups, things that you used to be able to pop an aspirin for, yeah. and that's not cutting it anymore. Once you're not in your 20s, aspirin doesn't cut it anymore, and it's starting to mess with our professional game. And I know that for many of us, that's incredibly frustrating. I know that I suffered from debilitating migraines for a long time, and it wasn't until I was laying in bed with another serious migraine that it occurred to me that that was the only time I rested. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, this is the only time you rest, Carly, is when your body mandates that you do so. Mm -hmm. What's the information here? Is there a way to no longer be treating your body like a business in personal liquidation? Mm -hmm. How can you leverage the information your body's giving you to yeah. help your career rather than, again, have that fragmented feeling that I was getting of being pulled in, in multiple directions? Because we are not fragments, Robert, right? right There's no right. such thing as work you and maybe spouse you or friend you right. and brother you and, you know, volunteer you. That's yeah. another mental construct. We are each one whole being. And when we fragment the way we see ourselves as if our work was separate somehow than our body, we fragment our energy mm -hmm. and that, and everything gets a little bit weaker, right? So yeah. it comes back to this idea. I mean, you've got me on a yoga kick. I don't talk a lot about the ashram, but, <laughs> okay. um, Yoga means union, right? And I'm not talking about downward facing dog. Like I'm not talking yeah. about even unrolling a yoga mat here, but it's this idea of unifying mm -hmm. who we are, like the fullness of your body and your brain when you're sitting at the computer. Yeah, I wonder, you know, could you speak to how you help people start down that path, particularly if they have not been down it at all? Again, I know many people in the business. I was speaking to someone recently. It doesn't matter who it is. You know, it was telling me that he felt uncomfortable. And I started asking him questions about what he meant by that. And I could tell there were things going on in his body, but he couldn't put them into words and didn't even really know. He knew he had some general feeling of discomfort. It was interesting for me to see here's someone who is not, and I know I'm not saying it in a judgmental way, could not get in touch with what the feelings were in his own body. He just had a vague sense that they were there. And so, you know, how, how do you help people get down that path when it's not something our culture exposes people to, teaches people about, how it encourages people to practice or learn? Such a great line of inquiry here. You remind me of when I first came out of school, I, I had a serious injury and I had a bot surgery. And when I was 25, I needed to learn how to walk again. And that took me wow. through a path of physical therapy for myself for years. And I got really interested in that as a practice. I ended up getting hired by the physical therapy office that I had been rehabbing in. And I would brush up against the same thing. Somebody would present and say, yeah, I've had back pain. I'd say, for how long? They'd say, well, I don't know, 20, 25 years. And this was the first time they're coming to the office. And it was still the sense of, yeah, it's just back pain. I'm like, great. Is it a muscle? Is it a bone? I don't know. It's back pain. Right. And I think that it's so important to honor what you just said, which is that we've been inadvertently or advertently, who knows, taught to ignore our body. And it happens for well-meaning reasons from a very young age when we say, I'm hungry. And our parents say, well, it's not dinner time yet. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a piece of information. My body's telling me I'm hungry. I need to override that. 
right. there are functional reasons <laughs> for that, right, sure. to need to occur. But over time, we get all these messaging that say, you know, my body's tired, but you need to stay up. And so what happens is I think about it like a friend. If your friend calls you and every time they call you, you say, not now, I'm busy, mm. not now, I'm not later. I, I do care about you, but like later, can we talk tomorrow? Yeah. Can we talk next week? But then that never comes. At some point, that form of communication breaks down and the friend stops calling. And that's what happens with the body. When we stop being in communication with it, it knows that we're not going to listen. And so we're not getting all those signals as easily. And so it's really about daring to spend a lifetime reconnecting with our body. Like I'm not the quick fix gal. I'm not the sure. life hack gal, sure. right? It's like, right. we've got a body for the rest of our lives. That's, we get it as long yeah. as we're here. And so it's just being in conversation before we eat lunch, asking, hey, what do I actually want to eat today? Mm-hmm. Right? If like Subway is what you normally order in for lunch, before you order that turkey sub today, just say, well, what do I actually want? And maybe it's the turkey sub, maybe it's something different. And just to start there, like what does my body need in this mm-hmm. moment? A sip of water doesn't need to walk around the room. And literally, this is where we can use our technology for our benefit, Robert. I'm as basic as just putting a timer on my phone for every 45 minutes when I'm going to be doing heady, you know, typing work for hours that literally just says you have a body. That's what comes up on my phone screen. (laughs) You have a body. What does it need? You know, what does it need? And there's moments, I'm not perfect at all, where I go, nope, not now, right? Like, nope, I'm right in the middle of the sentence, not taking a break right now. But more often than not, it's, yeah, let me just walk around the room for a second. Let me get a bio break or whatever it is, right? But it's this willingness to stop fighting with our physical Mm -hmm. form and start being in conversation. Hey, body, what are you trying to tell me right now? Um, and if it's okay, I can give a kind of a, an extreme example. Of Absolutely. This. Sure. Yeah. One of my clients, she's an engineer and she works for a company that builds the jet engines that we use for our military and for private travel. And so by golly, she's the kind of person with real attention to detail who really needs to turn out a quality product that keeps us all safe, which is what she does. And she started getting these heartburn symptoms and they were getting really severe. She's been working for this company for almost two decades. And they were so severe that she landed herself in the hospital a couple of times. And they did all these tests and they just, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. Her symptoms were real, but they couldn't figure out what was causing them. And when she sat in the hospital for three days, having not used her vacation time in years, it occurred to her that she had started having heartburn years ago and it would crop up around 5 p.m., which is when she should have been leaving work. But she was staying at work till seven or eight most days. Mm -hmm. And she realized, oh, my body had been whispering to me for a long time that it was done, but I needed to go home. And I stopped listening. Mm -hmm. And now I've wound up here. And thank goodness her situation was reversible and she's well and she's fine. But that was an example of there's a whisper and then the body talks louder Mm -hmm. and then there's the scream. And if we can avoid the scream, that's our goal, right? That's great. And again, I'm sure there's a very complex answer to this question, but I wonder if you could hint at, you know, for, for people who would have the reaction of, of if my body tells me something and I'm at work, I can't necessarily stop work. I can't quit work. I can't go home from work now. So, you know, what is it that I can do to move along the path, knowing that there are constraints on me? Oh, yeah. Like, how do we make this real? Now you're talking my language because you get all these lofty concepts from these obnoxious coaches like me, right? And then how do we make it real? How do we actually apply it? So what you just asked is the question we get to ask ourselves. Okay. 
real talk. I'm noticing my body needs something. Maybe your body's fatigued. Maybe it's tired. I can't just leave the office right now. That's unacceptable. What can I do to tend to my body in some small way? And I'll give an ex- another example. I've got a client. She is in the administrative team of a, of a private school and she had a huge headache cropping up. She gets mm-hmm. headaches often. And she asked herself that question. She, there was a big meeting at the end of the day. She knew she couldn't go home. She couldn't miss that meeting. But she had nothing in her calendar for 20 minutes and she closed the blinds. She happened to have her own office. So she closed the blinds and she laid her head down on the table for 20 minutes and it changed the entire course of her day. I got this long email from her about, Carly, it was so bizarre. I took a 20 minute break. I got the rest of my work done in half the time, showed up at that meeting, rocked it. And then when I came home, I wasn't so exhausted that I needed to skip dinner. Like I normally skip dinner because I'm too tired to even cook. It was like I had the energy to cook and the next day was so much better. And so it was just, I know 20 minutes is even a big ask for us in the beginning. We're looking for something small. We have to stop believing the myth that it's all or nothing and that it's work hard, play hard, that we're either black or white, all in or all out, my way or the highway. All of that binary thinking rules out opportunity and possibility right there in the middle. So I, as a recovering perfectionist, (laughs) probably is going to take me a lifetime to recover from my perfectionist tendencies. This has not been easy for me. I can say that I I know that feeling of thinking if I can't get a full on nap, I don't want a two minute nap. Or if I can't eat a, you know, I can't cook a proper meal. I don't want some, you know, half made thing, but that is where we have to start. We start with what's available to us and then we let ourselves off the hook. Yeah. You know, I did my best based on what was before me. I did the best I could today. The best I could do was that three minutes while the coffee was brewing. Win, right? Win. I mean, letting yourself off the hook is, is great. And and I'll tell a story and admission was not uh, sometime in the last year where I wasn't particularly tired, but I had wanted to take a walk during the day. And I usually would do it after the end of work. So it's actually, yeah, I was planning to take a walk at the end of work. And I realized at some point, like your client, that I had a little spot, like at 1.30 in the afternoon, where I could take a walk for 30 minutes. But the part of me, there was a part of me that had this idea that that is wrong. And that's not the time when I should be taking a walk because it's business time. So I made myself go out and take a walk for 30 minutes, let myself feel the self-judgment. <laughs> and I've, I have developed a habit of being more attuned to when the opportunities arise and letting it be okay. But it's huge. It's, it's huge to, to that. It's another way of letting myself off the hook, a little different from your client, but letting myself off the hook of the self-judgment that it's somehow what, weak or not business-like or, you know, to, to take a leisurely walk in the middle of the workday? Yeah, I think about, we've had a number of sitting presidents in the United States that were known for taking a nap every single day, right? And they're, they are the leader of the free world taking a nap every single day because they understand that that's essential, right? For our critical thinking, for our brain processing. And you're touching on something so important here, Robert, around this myth that we need to earn rest. Mm -hmm. Those who are thriving in our modern economy understand that we don't earn rest, we leverage it. Like we start with the rest. This is built into our workday because it is part of our professional growth strategy. Again, it's not separate. This is part of my professional growth strategy. For somebody like me, who's very career motivated, when I saw my well-being as part of my workday, then I could show up for it. 
when I saw it as separate, it was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like that friend I never call back. I'll get to that later. But yeah. later, it doesn't usually come for most of us. We're busy all day long. And so how can I leverage my well-being in a small way as part of my workday? What could that look like? Let me ask you this. There are strong cultural forces we're up against, right? All of these messages about what it means to be productive and valuable and valued. So this is something that can be very hard for an individual to buck up against. What can you talk about in terms of social support or other ways in which individuals can can work against these very strong messages and maybe not feel so alone also? You're touching on something so important around this idea of community care, right? Because you're right. The cultural messaging is really, it's really strong. Our awareness here, those of us that we're seeing do really well in making pivots right now, is this awareness that useful things get used up. We're not here to be useful. You're not a tube of toothpaste that we can just squeeze, you know, to the bottom every day, right? That, like, again, it's this idea of we're not running businesses in personal liquidation. That's not helping anyone's career anymore. I have to say, I just watched again this scene from sale of Death of a Salesman. A man is not a piece of fruit, right? I mean, so. <laughs> there it is, right? right? Like, that's it. That's exactly it. And so I know that I want to acknowledge that it takes courage right off the bat to even be in this conversation, to even be listening to this episode and to still be here with us, knowing that there's so much programming that says it needs to be done a certain way. And that way requires you to sacrifice your well-being or your body, or your relationships in order to work. That's not a model that's ever worked for anyone in a sustainable fashion. We call, um, in my practice, we're always talking about the big three, meaning career, health, and relationships. And what happens when we only focus on career is something gives in health or relationships, right? Or vice versa. And so when we begin to cultivate these small pockets of taking care of ourselves, there will be people in our lives that are interested by that. They notice it. They say, you look better. I saw you like, what were you doing for three minutes in the break room? Like, were you stretching? What was that about? Right. And we begin to have these conversations. So when we turn on our, this is silly, but like our wellness light, for lack of a better word, other people can see us and our Mm. flock will start to fly to us. People will become magnetized to the person who is the most rested person in the room. So the good news is if the bar is low in your professional mm-hmm. environment for rest, yeah. you don't have to do much to stand out, right? Like, you don't have to do much in order to be the most rested person in the room. And you will start to find people that you can then have accountability buddies with, who mm. you can be in conversation, who can talk the language of wanting to be well while working well. Um, but to your point, we do not go it alone. Mm-hmm. Learning the art of setting boundaries or taking care of our bodies. It's like learning a language. We've got to be around other native speakers or else Mm -hmm. without practice, it falls by the wayside. And so sending a lot of grace to anybody who's out there who's trying to do this themselves and getting really frustrated. And you feel like you start, you eat well for that first week in January. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, ooh, life picks up and you're back to old habits. The going it alone thing is really hard, if not downright impossible. And so we're looking for one or two people that we can be cultivating conversation with this around on a regular basis and scheduling them in to your calendar. Have I talked to Sally? I know she does whatever, you know, this thing I'm trying to learn. Have I talked to Sally this month? If not, I've scheduled that in just like I schedule in my appointment with my accountant Mm -hmm. or my coworker, right? That these appointments for our well-being are scheduled in our calendar. They're not left up to chance. 
Yeah, that's great. Yeah, they're just as they're just as valuable. To people out there who are thinking about doing this who are hesitant, it does take some courage to be the first one, you know, to put yourself out there, even in one of these very small ways, if you are going against the grain. It really does. And I want to give voice, you know, my practice works with a lot of women, but to any group that's been marginalized, whether we're talking about a racial demographic and any type of orientation, a faith, anything that has been marginalized, we're talking about big stuff here when we're talking about having the courage to do something differently. Mm -hmm. Because I want to honor that for your people who fall into a category that might have been marginalized, that it hasn't been safe. for you to speak up and be fully who you are. So A, that means your nervous system is living in a state of hypervigilance in general. So this is a big deal, what we're talking about. But also it means that you might be having to override big stuff, whether that's the epigenetics that's been passed along to you of being scared to speak up or just having had life experience that told you that when you speak up, it's not always good things come from that. So I really want to honor what a big deal it is to find these small, safe ways to begin doing this. And so for everybody who's brushing up against this, just in case it resonates as true, is that this might be about a lot more than whether or not you breathe for three minutes. This might be representing the first time in your life where you're daring to go against the grain. And we want to make sure that you are around other people and just You know, last thing I'll say about that, Robert, and I'm so curious for everybody who's out there who doesn't know anybody Mm -hmm. who's taking care of themselves. Like, like, yeah, that's great, Carly. Like, who's the person? This is why we listen. You know, our our wellness buddies can be the podcasts we listen to. They can be the books we read, the authors, the movies, the music. We can begin to cultivate a flock of people we don't know until we do know them. Yeah. And of course, there are online communities as you, you know, with other individuals you can chat with and speak with about just about anything like this. I agree if you don't know anyone individually. And, you know, I can say, I don't know if it's true in your experience, I suspect in the groups of people you're talking about, um, it's, there's probably also up against the fact that if they're in the corporate world, let's say, it's probably just enough. Well, you're being held to a higher standard to succeed in the first place. And you might very reasonably feel like it's all you can do to just achieve within the existing confines of that world because you're being held to a higher standard. So to then go outside the confines in a way that might have you judged, you know, might feel like too much, very reasonably, I, I, could, I could imagine. Yes. <laughs> and this is so important because we're so good at seeing the cost of making a change. Like, okay, if I make this change and people think I'm weird or they don't take me Mm -hmm. seriously anymore, then what's that going to mean? We're not always good at analyzing the cost of not making a change. Mm -hmm. And so there is a cost associated with not taking care of your body. And you might see that in your co-pays. You might see that in your doctor's appointments. You might see that in the therapy we need for our relationships or relationships not sustaining themselves altogether. Um, But it's really important to be able to spot. Yes, there's a cost. Mm -hmm in being true to ourselves. There is a cost in being true to yourself. And there is also a cost in not being true to myself. So if we get purely analytical here, this is really looking at the data of, if I do nothing, if everything stays the same, where will I be in a year from now? And what is that going to mean for me? And where can I not afford Mm. to continue to sacrifice myself? Where is that going to harm my career? Yeah, really, really helpful. And, you know, I want to make sure you did mention boundaries a couple of times. I know it's a significant part of the work you do. And I know that it is a particularly challenging issue in the face of COVID, where working at home 
The boundary between work and home has dissolved for many people, for many people involuntarily and unexpectedly. What can you say to the challenges of, well, one, maybe to the basic need and work you do around boundaries and why that's so important? It's not something I hear discussed frequently in general business coaching, career kind of personal coaching. And what are the particular issues that, that people are dealing with in the face of COVID? This is such an important conversation to have. And you and I were mentioning before we, before we went live here, this idea that it was challenging enough to have boundaries before COVID. And you really need to be like a ninja. You need to be a professional <laughs> boundary maker to be sustaining this time of COVID. And so boundaries have become the number one thing that we discuss a lot in my practice. We're launching in 2021, the Boundary Academy, which is for career-motivated women. Because it all boils down to the number one asset that career-driven folks are usually feeling scarce around is time. Mm. I don't have enough time. And to everything we spoke about, I don't have time to sleep. I don't have enough time you know, to get to what I care about. Um, and that almost always is directly related to whether or not our boundaries are in place. So boundaries are not a wall. They're not something that we put up between us and somebody else. Mm -hmm. Boundaries are a bridge. Most importantly, they're a bridge between ourselves and what we value in the world. So by the time we need to create a boundary with somebody, Robert, it's because we're already having a wall between us. Mm. We're already operating with two different sets of ideals or expectations about what's appropriate. And for everybody who's working at home, who's got a toddler banging on your door <laughs> while you're trying to you know, get something done, right? That's a playful but very real example for yeah. a lot of people of there's two different expectations. Toddler is I have access to my parent at any given moment for any yeah. need at any time. And parents' expectation is for this 30 minutes, I should be able to get work done by myself, right? And so it, it, it all boils back down to learning to cultivate a relationship with boundaries where speaking up for yourself is something that feels clear and accessible and doable. And this really comes back down to First step we talk about with boundaries, Robert, is what you and I have already discussed here, which is we call it throwing the flag, mm -hmm. which is just noticing a place where maybe a boundary would be appropriate. So before we even go setting them, and I can offer you a link for the free course okay. on this. There's nothing Great. for sale in, in the boundaries like a boss yeah. course. I'll give your audience that free link where we break down all the steps. But specifically, it's we can't set a boundary if we don't know that we need one. And so it's very similar messaging. It's, do I get resentful when I mm -hmm. need a boundary? Because I've said yes to something and I'm resenting that I have to do it. And I'm resenting this person that I care about or this work that I actually love because it's just too much. Um, or do I get headaches? Or you know, do I feel secretly behind even though everybody else is praising me? These are all typical symptoms of needing to upgrade our boundaries. And so we start with just starting to throw the flag like a ref would do on a soccer field. Mm -hmm. of, oh, wait a minute. Something about this isn't working for me. This might be a place, a place for boundaries. That's the path to reclaiming our time so that we can actually get to the things that we that we care about. Yeah, that's that's awesome. I mean, it is a very mindful approach, right? To pause, notice first, not to not take action, but not to reflexively take action, right? To do it in an intentional way. That's the perfect way of putting it because we've all had a moment where we saw a boundary that needed to happen. We responded before we thought about it. Maybe we regret the, way, <laughs> regret the way it came out. Things did not go the way we intended. Then we feel bad later, right? And so there it is. There's that mindful component. First, we throw the flag. Then we dare to pause. 
So now you've got the first two steps, right? Dare to pause and just notice, okay, what's going to make sense? What do I need to communicate here? But if you're feeling scarce for time, Mm -hmm. uh, I encourage you to consider what your relationship is with your boundaries. And if it's Mm -hmm. time to make some upgrades, that's often where we start to reclaim our time. Yeah. Yeah. Very, a very skillful way of putting it. So, <laughs> uh, again, like giving uh, ourselves grace, right? Because yeah. boundaries were not, I know I didn't learn boundaries in school. I didn't learn yeah. boundaries from my family. I didn't learn boundaries from my friends. This is yeah. something that most of us were not taught how to do. Um, and so we're learning it together as adults yeah. for the first time. So, you know, it takes a little trial and error. It takes some practice and it takes native boundary speakers being in a community of other people who are going to respect your boundaries and support them. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I've, I've spoken to a lot of people in relation to the work I do about just some particular technological challenges. The fact that they used to have a work computer and a home computer, and now it's the same physical computer, you know, and they didn't expect that the challenges and boundaries that that would create. <laughs> yes. Yes. Right. Because now, now your work lives on your desk or your kitchen table if it didn't yeah. before. And yeah. you remind me that our Boundaries are not between us and somebody else. They're between us and us. We create boundaries for ourselves, with ourselves, and then we have to continually reinforce them. Yeah. And so to begin to spot places, like, like let's take your toothbrush example of, all right, yeah. at least while dinner's happening, I won't, yeah. I won't touch my computer, right? Or at least while it's bedtime, you know, like, like whatever it is, but starting in some small place, but remembering that boundaries are, they're the contract we make between what we value. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that way of looking at it, that it's within ourselves. It helps, helps to take responsibility for it. Um, and yeah, it's kind of another radically different way of, of looking at it, but the only way to move forward. Great. Um, how, this has been great. I know we could keep talking forever. How can people get in touch with you, reach out to you, find out about uh, the work that you do? And if they want to benefit from that work, you know, where should they go? Carlyfane.com. So K-A-R-L-E-E-F-A-I-N.com. And if you go there, that's where you can get free access to the Boundaries Like a Boss course. And like I mentioned, there's nothing for sale in there. This is just information we've been cultivating for years because we know that when people have boundaries, more good happens in the world. So that's a great way to be in touch. Um, and LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn and Instagram too. But I I would hope for anybody listening that we could consider this the beginning of a conversation. I mean it. Be in touch. If you're looking for a community that's going to support your back around boundaries or is going to honor the fact that your body needs things, I'm your gal. Let's just make this the beginning and we'll we'll keep being um, in support of one another. Fantastic. That sounds great. Well, thanks so much, Carly, for being on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. Really enjoyed it. Thank you for having me and for this work you're doing in the world. It is needed and very well-timed. I appreciate it, Robert. Oh, thank you very much. Bye now. Thanks for joining us for this Technology for Mindfulness podcast with me, Robert Plotkin, and today's guest, Carly Fain, celebrity business and boundary coach, author, speaker, and founder of the Boundary Academy. You can find out more about Carly Fain at carlyfain.com. If you liked today's episode, please subscribe, rate, and review and share the episode with your friends. Don't forget to also check out our blog at technologyformindfulness.com for information and tips about how to be more focused, productive, creative, and happy using technology. And sign up for our mailing list to receive a free guide on how to find balance and manage your technology use with mindfulness. I'm Robert Plotkin, and I'll join you next time on the Technology for Mindfulness podcast with a new episode in January 2021. Until then, please stay safe and happy holidays.